that Charles Dickens book, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. We've kind of lived that. Um, last week, of course, we had snow, so we didn't meet. But uh, and I was thinking about you know what Gerald's been through, and so uh, so good to see you yesterday at the at the funeral and um, seeing that. And then of course uh, everything with the services yesterday. I'm sure we got a lot of tired people. And um, then thinking about Sunday and uh, what a blessing to be able to minister to the Freemans on Sunday morning and pray for them. And then the ordination of uh, Isaac on uh, Sunday night. Uh, just a lot of things. Probably missed something. My mind's kind of in a little bit of a, of a fog. Uh, some of you have asked me about Mama Lou. And uh, she is doing uh, better. In fact, today was dramatically better. Um, I, I don't even know how to describe the dizziness. You know, we've all had those you know, dizzy spells or something. Um, best I can think of is she's been living her life on a tilt-a-whirl. And uh, just when she'll try to stand up, she just, you know, it's, it's horrible. It makes her sick, you know, that kind of thing. She hadn't um, actually gotten sick but felt like it. And then even when she lays down on the bed, she said the bed will feel like it's going like this and around and those kind of things. And so it's been uh, difficult, but today's been better. She's been walking by herself some, and uh, we went to... Got her into a doctor today. She got those five staples taken out. That ought to make you feel a little bit better. And then he ran a lot of tests and things like that and said that she's got a grade three concussion and that uh, the brain is, uh, it, the way she fell, it you know slammed into the front of her skull and then the back of her skull. So it's bruised on both ends. And he said it just takes time to resolve. And so he didn't see any reason why there would be any residual effects from it. So uh, we're... Praising the Lord. Overall, that's a good report. So thank you for praying for her. Okay. And uh, just kind of fitting in with the theme of all of this, and even with a little bit of what I said yesterday. Uh, oh, Michael texted me last night, and uh, I don't know what they are today, but just on the News 9 website, um, 150,000 views of that funeral service. And 1,700 comments just last night. So, uh, boy, this is just amazing, you know. A lot of seeds planted, yeah, yeah. Comments from Australia, I was told, and, you know, things like that. So, um, horrible thing, but my goodness, if you want your life to count, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? And um, so turn to Psalm 37 and let's finish this up. I had this kind of ready for last week. And so um, this is where the Lord wanted it because it fits in really well. And kind of yesterday I talked a little bit about if you have a, somebody dumps out a jigsaw puzzle and then you pick up one piece and you go, where does this go? I don't even know what this piece is. This doesn't make sense to me. And so you never put the puzzle together. That's kind of dumb if you care about the puzzle. And so many people, that's what they do with the Word of God. Well, I don't understand that. How does that all fit in? And then they never bother putting the puzzle together. And when somebody dumps a puzzle like that out, um, I don't really like puzzles much, but if I were working on it, I can tell you what I would do. I'd look for corner pieces, wouldn't you? Put a corner piece, because I know there are only four places where they can go, may have to move them around, may have to shuffle them, may not get it right, but... One, two, three, four. Then I'd start looking for some straight edges. And this is the way, in my opinion, that we ought to study the doctrines of the Bible. Do we understand all of them? No. Somebody asked me one time, you think everything that you preach is accurate? Well, if I didn't, I wouldn't preach it. Does that make sense? That's not arrogance. That's just, why would I preach something I knew was wrong? You just think you're right about everything. That's why I preach it. And uh, do I ever have to make any adjustments? Yeah. Because sometimes what you think is a, a real solid understanding, sometimes you find another piece and you go, wait a minute, I didn't know that. And it changes or you adapt things just a little bit. Now, not in anything major. Nothing's changed the virgin birth or the substitutionary death of Christ or any of those things. You understand what I'm talking about. 
But you've got to be patient and put this thing together. It takes a long time. There was a prime minister of England that I heard about. I don't remember his name and it wouldn't matter anyway. But uh, England was in control of Palestine for a long time. And this prime minister had heard that God had a plan for the Jews. And it was England that made the Balfour Declaration in 1917, if I remember right, to open that land up as a homeland for the Jews. So this prime minister found a preacher, and I believe he was a Baptist preacher, and he said, I need to know what the Bible says about God's plan for the Jews. Well, this pastor was very astute in all of that. And he started taking him through the Old Testament and the covenants and the promises and that kind of thing. And pretty soon the prime minister said, you can have more than 30 minutes. And they spent the whole day together. And at the end of it, the prime minister said to the preacher, I'd give the world to know the Bible like you do. And you know what the preacher said? It's exactly what it'll cost you. You know, sometimes we say we don't have time for things. Well, we're trying to fit the Bible into the nooks and crannies of our life instead of making it a priority. And then when the enemy brings up something that we don't quite get, we can't comprehend, we obsess on that. Or I have seen people that say, I want to believe this so badly that they put the piece down and then they take a hammer and they begin to hit it. You know, we're going to make this fit one way or another. And you can imagine that doesn't uh, turn out very well for life or for faith or for doctrine or for understanding God and understanding the ways of God, which that's where we find our peace. That's where we find the rock that supports us. And uh, that's what we uh, want to see in our lives when things happen, the unspeakable happens to us. We want to be able to be solid and to reach out and minister to uh, other people. Um, at the viewing the other night, it, it just is amazing when you watch Michael and you watch Jody and you see them in the midst of grief. It's real grief. Their hearts are broken, shredded probably. But there's something else, another dimension to them. If you had watched and you see Jody exhorting students, Rachel's friends, to trust the Lord and to hold on to him and that it's going to be okay. And then um, some of you remember Lacey Seeley. And uh, she lost a baby a couple of years ago and has had a horrible time. She, used to, she was a teenager, got saved in our church um, years ago. And uh, she's had a horrible time. Got a text from Michael, and he said, guess who I got to spend some time talking to at the viewing tonight? And the next Facebook I saw from Lacey was completely different than anything else because for the first time she had somebody who understood her and what she was going through, and she got some peace. You see, when, when God works like this in lives, it's not in the lives of people who are haphazard and casual about their walk with God and their study of the Word of God. You see, you don't get this from ignoring your Bible, ignoring church, ignoring truth, not applying the principles, not fighting the fight, and then all of a sudden you get like zapped when something comes along. No, this is putting together the puzzle. And one of the things that you find is when people start getting the puzzle together, you start recognize it. See, when they dump out the whole box, you look at, what in the world is this? But when you get the boundaries and you start filling it in and patiently, patiently, patiently working on it, you know what happens after a while? I'm not finished with the puzzle yet, but I'm starting to see the picture. I'm starting to see what it's supposed to be like. And that changes me. And that gives me solidity. It gives me confidence. So I can pick up a puzzle piece and I can look at what I've got here and I'm going, hey, that's an eye. That probably ought to go and, and, and it's 
kind of starts to work. This is a shoe. Don't put that at the top. Put it down here at the bottom. This is a part of the sky. Let's go up to the top. It's kind of how you teach your toddlers to put together a puzzle, right? And that's what I want to just share with you. That's what the Word of God does. And after a while, things began to make some kind of pattern and some sort of sense. And you began to know the Lord in these things. Isn't that what David's been talking about in Psalm 37? Don't, don't fret. Don't lose your mind. Don't lose your religion over what's happening with evildoers. They're going to be cut off. God's got this. And God knows what he's doing. Do I understand everything that God does? No, and neither do you. And I hear people say sometimes, well, I wouldn't serve a God who would do that. You don't have a choice. It's not like you're going to a vending machine and picking out another God that you like better. This is not build a God, right? I did see a thing, a box that said OMG, which is oh my God. And it was a thing where you can build your own deity, it said. It was in a novelty score, uh, store. Yeah, well, that's what people want to do. I want to have my God the way I want him that fits with my way of thinking. Um, that sort of makes you God. Try it and see how it works for you. See, David knew there were some things that he was never going to figure out this side of eternity. But there was enough that he knew that he could say, breathe out a sigh of relief. It's going to be okay. It's going to fit. And so when the pieces don't fit, you know what happens? Sometimes people just say, I got to do something even if it's wrong. Just activity. Some people quit and withdraw. We've seen that, haven't we? Some people stray from what they know is right. And some people just ignore the only hope that they have and they try to make it on their own. And so my advice is when the pieces don't seem to fit, don't force them. Don't force them. There's got to be some faith and there's got to be some trust. Now, let's see how this fits together in Psalm 37, if we begin reading in 34, and we'll finish this one up. This psalm is a, is a blessing. Here it is. Wait on the Lord. Does that mean I just turn passive? No. And keep his way. And he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. You have, I have seen the wicked in great power, and so have we, and spreading himself like a native green tree. Yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man, pay attention to him, and observe the upright. Watch them. For the future of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. Somebody ought to say amen right there. He is their strength in time of trouble. There's your answer. There's your answer. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. You're not stuck. He's going to bring you out. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trusted in him. Isn't it amazing how many times David, I mean, he's, David's got this passion for justice. Things are not right in this world. Things are not working the way they're supposed to. The pieces of the puzzle are not fitting. You know, it's interesting when I uh, read through the Bible <clears throat> and I hear people give their expression to the Christian life and what the Bible says. And I think most of the people think that when we have things like what happened to Rachel, we're all supposed to be just uh, ooey-gooey, lovey-dovey, and all of that. No, I've still got a part in me that's angry. Okay? I, I'm angry. I don't like drunk drivers. I don't like the fact that so many people are killed and crushed and families are hurt and things are, communities are torn up because people drink and drive. I, I just don't like that. 
Uh, I was raised that way. In fact, my dad always said that he thought if you, if you purposely drink and get in a vehicle you, and kill somebody, you ought to be charged with driving with intent to kill. And, you know, that kind of thing. Well, that's unloving and unmerciful. I understand that. You'll just have to indulge me. It makes me angry. It makes me mad that people, uh, you know, get into trouble on those kind of things because they're irresponsible. When I hear about domestic abuse, and it's almost always tied to alcohol. When you hear about a wreck, and it's tied to alcohol. When there's all of these things that are going on. And then what did we do this last year? Let's make it stronger and easier to get. That just makes sense to me. Whatever. And so there's a part of me that cries out for justice. Now, did you... I don't want to make this about the Michael Freeman show or anything, but it's just fresh. Did you read any of his Facebook posts where he talked about with the man who did this and he was very blunt. He said, he killed my daughter. Okay? And then he said that he wanted justice and he wanted the maximum punishment. Then he also said, but as a fellow sinner who is also undeserving of the grace of God, I want him to be saved. And if he repents and is saved, he said, I will embrace him as my brother in Christ. Balance, balance. You see, when you read Psalms like Psalm 37, this is not just, well, we're all sinners and we all mess up. So, really? Really? We get to the point to where we say, where does law and order and right and wrong? See, we forget God is a God of justice. Ever heard this verse? He has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly? That's justice. And love mercy and walk humbly with your God. And I'm going to say this. In tragic times, until you walk humbly with your God, you won't really love mercy. And without a merciful heart, justice will just be a harsh, cruel, vindictive, vengeful reality. And nothing will ever get resolved. But when you do justly, at the same time loving mercy, and that's all flowing out of an humble walk with God, you know what you can do? Breathe a sigh of relief and leave it in the hands of God. Vengeance is mine, he said. I will repay. And so there are two sides of things. Is God a merciful, gracious God? You bet he is. Or you and I are going to hell. Is he also a God of justice? You bet he is. That's why he punished his son in your place. So that sin would be paid for. Sin would be punished. And then he could turn around through his mercy and give us his grace. Does that mean God just looks around and says, well, what are you going to do? Boys will be boys. What do you do with sinners? No. This psalm tells us That God is going to take care of all of the injustice in this world. And it's going to be either through grace, by people trusting in the Son of God and having their sins forgiven and receiving a new nature and a new standing with God. Or in these verses we just read, he said, you're going to see it and the wicked will be destroyed together. They're going to be put in the lake of fire. That's a harsh thing to think about. And yet that's what the Bible says. This is how serious God is about sin. We're not, but he is. And we need to be more like him. But he's also far more merciful than we would ever be. We think our little dab of mercy and grace and forgiveness and tolerance of other people. Oh, we're being like God. Not even close. He's so far above and beyond us. So my question goes, when I get that in my mind, so what do I do, Lord? Things aren't fitting. I don't like the way things look. I cannot make this piece of the puzzle fit together. What do I do? Maybe some practical things to do. Number one, when things don't fit together in life, and it doesn't have to be the big things. It can be just the little bitty things. Little bitty things. Sometimes the little bitty things are more frustrating, are they not? And here's the deal. There's no substitute for waiting. And we don't like to wait. I don't like to wait. I've had times when I've uh, been stopped at a stoplight 
And it looked like traffic was backing up. And I turned right on red. And my wife goes, this is a longer way. And I said, I don't care. I just want to be moving. Doesn't it feel better sometimes? I just want to be moving. Got to do something. Got to do something. Not long before my dad died, he was in the ER. And he was getting pretty restless. And he had all these tubes hooked up. And he kept trying to get off of the gurney. Dad, you can't do that. You're all hooked up. Well, unhook me. No, Dad, I'm not going to unhook you. Um, you know, you, you can't do that. Well, I, and he said at one point, I've just got to do something, even if it's wrong. You ever felt like that? I've done that. How many of you have ever seen the movie Bambi? Remember that? Remember Bambi? Remember the quail? They're down there in the meadow. And one of them goes, I've got to fly. I've got to fly. And the other one's going, no, don't fly. Don't fly. I've got to fly. And here they go and Boom. Yeah. That's the way it is. The enemy draws us out. And we think waiting is doing nothing. I want to tell you, practice active waiting. I'm actively waiting on the Lord. I'm not just laying around doing nothing. I am waiting on the Lord. There's no substitute for waiting. That peace that you can't fit in, it'll fit in due time. Got to wait. Got to wait. Number two, notice that there's no cause to quit. Because right after that, it says, Wait on him and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. Did you notice that? Wait for him and keep his way. Wait for him and keep his way. Isn't that funny? Normally, when you think about waiting, you don't think about doing anything. And it seems to be God is saying, While you were doing this, stay with the orders you've been given. If you hadn't gotten anything new, don't do anything new. If you haven't gotten a new command or a change in direction, then don't do anything new and don't change your direction. Do what he told you to do. And these promises that come in here that tell us about the righteous and they tell us about the wicked and they tell us about if you'll just wait. Some of these people that seem to be so entrenched And nobody can get rid of. My goodness, how long did Fidel Castro have his oppressive communist thumb over the people of Cuba? Not saying that his brother's any better. But you know what? He passed away. Go to Red Square in Moscow. Go in and see the body of Vladimir uh, Lenin. It's preserved. It's in a glass case. You can go look at it. But he passed away. He didn't have any power. He didn't do anything. You can't walk in there and have him point at you and say, arrest that man. He had great power at one time, but he passed away. Think about all the tyrants and all the evil people. Think about people that, you know, murderers and rapists and all of those uh, type of people. What happens? Whether they're known or unknown whether they're great or small, whether they're powerful and oppressive or whatever, doesn't matter. Scripture says here, looked at them, they were in great power. In fact, David describes them like a green native tree. You know what's good about a native tree? They can handle all of the stuff that you have to put up with. We uh, found out with some of our landscaping and plants and flowers sometimes we had a hard time growing them the way we wanted to because they weren't native to here. They came from Japan or somewhere. They can't handle the heat and the wind. I can't either. And uh, you know what? Put some native plants in. They do better. They can make it. You know what David was saying? Even under the best of circumstances, the toughest ones to get rid of because they're like the native green tree Just wait. They're going to be gone. You've got a wonderful future ahead of you. They don't. And David is telling us here, so what do you do in the meantime? Just react to them like you're a ball in a pinball machine? No. Steady. Steady as she goes. Stay the course. Do what he told you to do. Well, what if I need to do something different? He'll let you know. He'll guide you. The steps of the righteous are ordered by God, right? Well, what if I fall? Right after that verse, it says, And though we fall, 
He shall not utterly fall or be cast off, right? The Lord's got this. And one of the things that we ought to um, really enjoy as people who believe in the sovereignty of God is to know this, before I make a mistake, he already knows I'm going to make the mistake. He's already made provision for it. I'm not going to mess up God's plan, God's kingdom, God's eternal purpose or anything like that. He's got it. I can rest. And he's perfectly capable of getting my or your attention. And he's perfectly capable of redeeming us, of correcting us, and of bringing beauty out of ashes. You know? Have you knelt beside the rubble? Of an aching broken heart. When the things you gave your life to fell apart. You're not the first to be acquainted with sorrow, grief, or pain. But the master promises sunshine after rain. Hold on, my child. Joy comes in the morning. It's a song based on Psalm 30. Something beautiful. It's Gaither night here. Something good. All my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. And he made something beautiful out of my life. David wrote in Psalm 30, You have turned for me my morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, into dancing. Boy, that's a change. That's a change. Because our God is a God who restores He's not the God who abandons. He's not the God that kicks you to the curb. He's not the God that said, well, you messed this up, didn't you? He's a God that says to you, yeah, I knew you were going to do that. And I've already made provision. Christ has already paid for it. And I've already got everything in motion to fix it. Repent. Turn to me. Trust me. Because this is the promise and the hope of the child of God. All things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Isn't that what it seems to be saying? And so, what do you do? Wait on the Lord. There's no substitute for that. You got to do it. And there's no cause to quit. And so many people just give up and quit. Life didn't work out. Things aren't going the way. I didn't sign up for this. When you got saved, you didn't sign up for anything. You signed a blank piece of paper. God fills in the blanks. You don't know where he's leading. You didn't put terms and conditions. Okay, Lord, I will repent and trust Jesus as my Savior if you will promise me million dollars, health all the time. Well, where, where do you find that? God's soldiers go through some battles. We get some scars. We get some medals out of it too, don't we? Sometimes it's tough, but the Lord knows no substitute for waiting and there's never an excuse to quit never number three there's no reason to stray sometimes people get under pressure they see the wicked how are they getting away with this and what all's happening here and I don't understand this and I don't know why God didn't do this I don't understand why he did this and so they're headed to the bar they're getting involved in immorality. They have an affair. They quit coming to church. They live like the world, live like the devil. And when you think about it, and we all know this, that's the dumbest thing you can do. Why do you want more chastisement? Why do you want more pressure? If you're going to reap what you sow, is that in the Bible? Why do you want to reap stuff like that? Well, I tried it God's way, one person said to me. I tried it. I got saved and I got baptized. Then they started telling me all the bad things that happened to them. Well, shouldn't we expect that when we leave the kingdom of darkness and go into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness is not going to be happy about that? I lived a part of my life in West Berlin. See, people don't really understand West Berlin is not the border. West Germany and East Germany are 110 miles that way. Berlin was in the middle of East Germany, and that wall was a ring around West Berlin. 
One of the men my dad worked with told me that the Soviets can get to their arsenals quicker than the Americans can get to them. We were just ringed in. We were ready at any time for them to say, all of you are POWs. Put tanks all the way around it. There wasn't anything we could do at that point. We'd have to be rescued. Sometimes you feel like you are hemmed in, stuck. What's going on here? What's happening? How do I get out of this? What's my exit strategy? You know, the Lord doesn't reveal all of that to us. He tells us to trust him, doesn't he? In fact, the very last verse of this psalm says, because they trust in him. Now, when we were in Berlin, did we live in high anxiety over that? No, I had a blast. Because I really wasn't afraid of the Soviets because I trusted in the American military. I trusted that these people were trained. I trusted that they had plans. I trusted that if something did happen and the uh, Soviets and East Germans came through that wall into where we were, I trusted that somebody somewhere had an idea of what they were going to do to get us out. You, You see what I mean? You trust. And I know that wherever the Lord leads me, He's led me like He's led you into some things I never thought I'd do. Never thought I would experience. Not me. I don't go through that. You know, sometimes you just don't get a choice, do you? If you were to look at it, you go, oh, I could never do that. (laughs) Then when you're in the middle of it, you do it. You do it. Some of you have been through chemotherapy. Good night, I don't know how you do that. I'd never in a million years say, I'm going to try that someday. I've watched you. And I look at that and I go, couldn't do that. I, I, I uh, couldn't do that. I've seen people in car wrecks and the things they have to go through, the surgeries and the therapies. Man, I couldn't do that. Well, here's the thing. You do if you have to. Isn't that right? You just do it. And God gives you grace and strength and he gives it when you, when you need it. Now... We want to look at all of that and go, well, in serving God, boy, there's a high price and a high cost. And David said, no, you got your eyes on the wrong thing. You're looking at the wrong place. Notice what he said. Mark the blameless man. Are you watching those kind of people? Are you watching the blameless man or are you watching the evil? Are you watching those who do right or are you watching those who do wrong? Boy, you can find a lot of people doing wrong. You can find a lot of people who don't handle their battles very well. Some of God's soldiers lay down their weapons and go AWOL. Some of God's soldiers fire at the wrong people. How many of you have been the victim of friendly fire? I have. Hey, shoot the other way, dude. Right? There's the enemy. I'm not. I'm not perfect, but I'm not your enemy. Shoot, shoot over there, man. Let's make, our, let's make our shots count on that. Sometimes it happens. And if you watch those kind of people, and the reason I know this is because I've been guilty. I've had times when the people that are doing wrong were the obsession of my brain. I've had times when the people that hurt and scarred me, they were first and forefront on my mind. Not people like you. That person. Have you ever had that one person? Boy, I hope I don't run into them. And then what happens? You turn in the aisle at Walmart and there they are. Right? Messed up my whole shopping trip here. You know, sometimes you get stuck on those things. David says, here's your advice. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright. For the future of that man is peace. Well, after all, isn't that really what we want? Peace for our souls. Peace in your mind. Peace in your will, your decision making. And peace in your emotions. Doesn't that make you just feel good listening to that? Well, that's the way of the upright. He may be in a battle now, but that battle's not going to last forever. He's a victor. 
When you get through the battle, you win. That's the only way you become a victor. You don't get a, a victory without a battle. Mark those kind of people. You're looking at the wrong place. But the transgression shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. Don't, don't look at them. Don't obsess over them. Don't let them control your life. Don't let them rob you of your joy. you got better people to look at than that. And the Lord puts good people in your life, people that have been saved by the grace of God, people that have been made worthy by the blood of the Lamb, people that have been transformed, people that are growing and learning, people that have walked through and won some battles that you haven't, and they'll teach you how to win in those kind of things. They'll lead you in the way. They'll give you footsteps in the snow that you don't have to get snow down in your shoes. You can walk in their footprints. You'll have direction. You'll have clarity. That's what David's saying. You don't have enough time in your life to be obsessed by all of the junk. You don't have enough time. If anything, Rachel should have taught us that. You don't know how much time you have. But man, apparently... Any of you going to have 2,200 people show up at your funeral? She must have made quite an impact while she was living. And then when that flower got crushed, the sweetness and the fragrance sure came out. See? So what do you do? Who are you looking at? Who are you watching? Who are you paying attention to? Now, don't make gurus out of them. Don't make idols out of them. Don't make them more than what they really were or really are. But you know who the upright are. You know those people who just seem to do it right. So why in the world would you not want to follow? I've talked to people that make an absolute mess out of their life. My grandma was a strong Christian. Boy, she knew that Bible. And man, she made sure we were in Sunday school and she did that. Then why are you in the mess you're in? S-T-U-P-I-D is what it is. And we all are that, don't we? Telling me you had a godly example there and now you're in this? What's wrong with you? That thing where R.C. Sproul, not long before he died, he was talking, they were answering some questions on a panel, and he just had enough of it after a while. And he goes, what's wrong with you people? You children of dirt shaking your fist in the face of a holy God? I mean, good night. Got all riled up. That may have been what killed him. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and you want to say that. Parents, you want to do that sometimes with your kids. You just kind of want to shake them. What's wrong with you? Guess what? Pastors want to do that too. Why are you following that path? You know? We can think of a lot of words we could use, but you're not supposed to cuss in the pulpit, so... We won't do that. Okay? Are you getting the point of this? Is it resonating? Mark them. Get your eyes off all that other junk. Mark them. And then number four. And understand this. There's no other option for help. Oh, preacher, we're just going through such a rough time. We just can't do church and the God thing right now. Well, where are you going to go? The old song says, where could I go but to the Lord? Isn't that right? You got to run to him. Well, I don't like him right now. We all have our frustrations, don't we? And there's sometimes what God does just makes me giddy with joy. Well, there's some other times he does some things. And man, it makes me as mad as when my mom made me take out the trash in the middle of Batman. I wasn't real happy about that. Muttered and, you know, all that stuff all the way out there. It's when we had to go out to regular trash cans. Remember those? They had the days of the week on the top of it. And they made really good shields. Remember those cans? And you remember when you'd carry them in paper bags? Carry the garbage out and the bottom would fall out of it, you know? Communist plot to destroy America right here. Um, Man, I remember, I'll never make my kids take out the trash and all of that, you know, that kind of stuff. Sometimes I do that with God, too. And he goes, do it anyway and learn from it. Grow from it. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? 
And sometimes we think, well, I'll just do things my way or a different way, or I'll do like all those other people are doing. I mean, they look like they're having fun. Yeah, the wicked will be, what have we seen in this psalm five or six different times? Cut off. Okay, that doesn't sound fun to me. That doesn't sound like a destination. That doesn't sound like a place I want to end up. That doesn't sound, shall we say, pleasant. But the ways of the righteous are the ways of peace. Temporary battles, temporary trials, temporary bruises that end up in peace are temporary pleasure and temporary fun that ends up with you being cut off. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not the brightest bulb and I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer but it didn't take me but about a half a second to figure out which way I want to end up see and that's what we've got to help people see a long-term view a view that is going to get them out of where they are into a place of peace and they're never going to see that unless we demonstrate that And this is why David keeps hammering this. This psalm is for godly people that lived then, but they had the same problems that godly people have now, that you and I have. And the thing that we've got to do is to be different and follow the ways of the Lord because that gives you maximum impact wherever you go, wherever you go. And so when people come up, like Peter said, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies in you. Let me tell you something that struck me about that. That verse means absolutely nothing if nobody's asking. So here's the thing. Why aren't people asking? Well, maybe because... When they look at us, they go, your religion's not helping you any more than my atheism is helping me. So why should I talk to you? You're going astray. You're falling apart. You abandon your God. You don't really hold on to those doctrines that you say you believe. They're not doing anything in your life. Why should I follow them? And so here we go, walking around, crowing about the sovereignty of God and hitting the panic button every time something doesn't go our way. Hmm. When did 2 plus 2 start equaling 5? Because believing in a sovereign God and then hitting the panic button and then just going, well, we're only human and we're just normal. Something's not adding up. And no wonder, no wonder people aren't asking. And so we've got to start following what these words say. So that when people look at this, they go, I don't understand this. You don't make sense. How in the world are you doing this? And all of a sudden, we've got an opportunity to talk to people that wouldn't have listened to us the day before. I promise you, some of you, some of you will listen to Michael differently now than you did nine days ago. Why? You've seen something. I promise you there are people at work they are going to listen to him that didn't listen before. Wayne Robinson wrote that poem. He said, to get to, you must go through. See what he's saying? And sometimes we're like, I'm not going through that. And we forfeit power and influence and impact on other people. Sometimes when we say, no, we're not crossing over that, what does God do? Have you ever read about the children of Israel who were told to cross the Jordan River at Kadesh Barnea? And they go, nah, 40 years, 40 years. Take another lap around Mount Sinai, right? And that generation passed off. And the next generation went into the land. To get to, you've got to go through. And it all boils down to... Are you going to believe? Are you going to trust and act on what the Word of God says in verses like this? Because it ends up telling you, can't go anywhere else. You don't have any other option. Nothing else is going to fix it. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. Period. Period. He is their strength in time of trouble. Turn anywhere else, you're going to crumble. Turn anywhere else, 
You're going to wilt like a pansy in July heat. Turn anywhere else. You won't be able to hold up. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. You want that? Then you got to walk with him. Got to go his way. Got to obey him. He shall deliver them from the wicked. Well, that sounds good to me. But you got to obey him. You got to walk with him. And it says he's going to save them. Why? Because they trust in him. Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. God honors faith. Now, don't take that to mean if I have enough faith, God will do what I want, the way I want, when I want, how I want. Now, you're not reading your Bible. And you're not following the example of the upright in Scripture or the upright that are around you. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And we've got to trust the all-knowing God. The all-knowing God who leads us into those things in victory so that we can have impact when we get to the other side. And I don't mean the other side meaning heaven. I mean the other side of the trial. The other side of the battle. The other side of the disappointment. The other side of the hurt whatever it is. It makes me think of Paul who said, you know, we're, we're crushed and perplexed and all of those kind of things. And yet he said, you know, we're more than conquerors. Isn't that interesting? Talks about to the, uh, the Ephesians, I think it was. He causes us to walk in the train of his triumph in victory. It's what he has for you and it's a way of peace. So while you wait, don't forget that, don't forget in the darkness what he told you in the light, because nothing changed. But also, don't forget in the light what you learned in the darkness. Because I have seen some people that, boy, they're hooping and hollering and trusting God and all of that, and then they have a downturn, or they have a sickness, or they have a problem, or the, something happens in their family, and, all, and then all of a sudden they don't have anything anywhere, and they're just crazy. Don't forget in the darkness what you learned in the light. Apply it. But you know, I've also seen probably an equal number of people that when they go through a storm, they're holding on to Jesus. They are just, you know, peace in the midst of the storm. Oh, Lord, you've got to hold me. And then God gets them through the storm, and then they go, whew, glad that's over, and then they run astray. Uh, I'll close with just this one illustration. There was a guy that came to me, and he said, you've got to pray that I get a better job. For that, I'm for that. If it'll increase his offering, I'm for that. I'm sort of serious about that. And uh, before we prayed, God gave him a better job, and he quit coming to church. He's traveling all the time, gone every weekend, got an RV, had all of these things to do, and then his life and his marriage and family fell apart after that. See, something's not right. And we've got a lot of people that claim to be Christians and something's not working right. And it's not that if I were a Christian and I have a sovereign God, I won't have any problems. Forget that. That's not promised to you. But what is promised, that you can go through the normal trials of life in a way that a lost person and baby Christians will look at you and they go, how do you do that? 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 And you can point them to Jesus. And here's my exhortation. David told you to mark the upright man. Now, here's your challenge. Be the upright man for someone else, whatever you're going through. Because there's no substitute for waiting. Can't remember my second point. And uh, it all boils down to trusting the Lord. Somebody say amen. 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 Okay. Let's... Pray and ask God to let us do it now, okay? Senior moment. <laughs> I've been like that since I was a teenager. I can't remember lists. Okay. Father, as we come down here to this point of this psalm, I think we're starting to get the point. Our trust in God, in His Word, in His eternal plan, in His sovereignty... That's the way of strength. That's the way of victory. That's the way of influence. 
And David even says that's the way of peace. And we don't want to live and be like the wicked that are just simply going to be cut off, cast aside. But Lord, we do want to be the people who understand that there's no substitute for waiting. And we're just not good at that. Teach us to be still, to wait. We got some people on our prayer list tonight. We would love for you to rush in in power and victory and in a dynamic show of force and just heal and fix and comfort and bless. And I thank you that you do that. And I'm asking you to do that. But Lord, all we have to do is just thumb through the pages of Scripture and we find out that so many times your word is a whispered, just wait. Just hold on. You may not see it. I may answer it after you die. Just like it says in Hebrews 11. Just wait. When we think about what the psalm has been telling us here, that there's no cause to quit. Trust in the Lord and then keep His way. We're so quick to quit. We're so quick to take our hands off of the plow. We're so quick to just give up. No reason to give up. You can change anything and everything anytime you want to. And there's no reason for us to stray. Why would sin hold any kind of attraction to us when we see what the wages of sin is and we see the way of sinners? Why would we want to participate in that? We're the ones that ought to be beckoning sinners out of that. Not running in and joining them. Oh God, forgive us. And cleanse us. And then when we really get it in our heart. That there's not any other option. There's no other God. There's no other way of peace. There's no other way out. And we ought to be the ones walking in that path. And encouraging others to walk in that path. And so, Lord, as we do ministry, as we help people, we don't want to just do the same old things in the same old way just because we've always done it. We want to do something in your power. We want to do something that has impact. We want to do something that brings glory to you, and it really does help people. And we want to not only mark the blameless man, make us that blameless man, regardless of our circumstances. Give us your strength. Thank you for your love. Thank you for being so patient with us. And thank you that we have victory in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.